0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You're an awesome day. We want to thank you for your love for us. We want to thank you that we can celebrate Easter together, that we can celebrate your death, we can celebrate your resurrection, we can celebrate the life and the hope we have in you, that you are our life, you are our hope, you are our truth. Lord, I pray your words this morning will come through, and Lord, make us more like Jesus. Let your truth flow today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I've been striving for the last five weeks to talk about covenant. Today I'm going to talk about covenant. Because covenant is really important, but it's something that in our society today, we just don't talk about. It's not a part of our world. We don't understand what a covenant is. All right. So much so that we have contracts and then we go to court to get out of contracts. We sign contracts and we break contracts, and we don't understand that the contract that we have with God, which is what a covenant is, is actually what our whole Christian foundation is based on. Without the covenant that we have with God, we have no relationship. Without the covenant we have with God, we have no salvation. All right? Thanks, Beck. That's cool. Just pull the blind down. Or you're going to see legs running all the time. So it's really, really, really important that we understand what our covenant is. And um, I love the new Bethel album, but there's one song on there that I actually disagree with. Because, you know, we get these songs and they move us emotionally, don't they? Music moves us. And we hear it and we go, oh, and it must be God because we're moved by it. Actually, it's not. Because one of the songs on there says that he didn't have to come, but he did. Actually, he does have to come because his covenant says that he will. His covenant says that where two or three gather in his name, he is there. It's his covenant. So while it's a lovely emotional song and I get what they're trying to say, it's actually scripturally incorrect. And we sing a lot of stuff. Well, we don't, but there's a lot of stuff in the Christian world that is sung that really isn't part of our covenant. And we get into it because it's all emotional and wonderful. And, you know, um, Dale and I went to a meeting, a conference, pastor's meeting a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, everyone's standing around and they're singing this, this hymn. And, and the last verse of the hymn goes something like, I can't remember the words, but something like, essentially, if I'm going to paraphrase it, when I'm old, decrepit, broke in my wheelchair, lying on my deathbed, sick as a dog, whatever it is. <laughs> this is the amplified version, yes. You know, and I'm on my, just about to fall off to heaven, you know. I'll know that God loves me. And I'm sitting there going, well, I know that God loves me, but I don't have to be poor. I don't have to be broke. I don't have to be decrepit. And you all know my least favorite hymn is, you know, hold the fort because I am coming I'm sorry, there's no fort to hold. We don't need a fort because we're on the advancement. But we sing this stuff because we don't know our covenant. And we have this mentality that we're supposed to be broke, we're supposed to be sick, we're supposed to be decrepit, and we're supposed to be on the defensive. Jesus was never, ever on the defensive. In fact, he went on the attack. You know, when they came and had a go at him, he would have not hesitate in calling him lovely things like, you brood of vipers. You bunch of snakes. that you know, Today everyone told you you're politically incorrect. Jesus was not very politically correct. We're meant to be on the offensive. We're meant to be walking in victory. Because the victory's already been paid because this is what our covenant is. So I want to have a look at covenant. I want us to walk away with an understanding of covenant so that when you walk out of here, you go, you know what, I know who I am in God. And I don't have to apologize for who I am in God and it doesn't matter who doesn't like that. We okay with that? Are we awake? Just elbow the person next to you and say, wake up now. The good stuff's coming. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to jump through. I'm not going to take a long time. No one ever believes a preacher that says that, right? But in Samuel 17, you get the story of David and Goliath. We need to understand Old Testament covenant to understand New Testament covenant. By the way, the word testament is another word for covenant. So you've got the Old Covenant, you've got the New Covenant. Yeah, Because a covenant, it's an agreement. So in the old covenant, you've got David and he's out there and he faces up to Goliath. You don't know the story, right? But there's a really important line in the middle of all that, that when David actually goes out and confronts Goliath and he's looking at him, and Goliath stands up there and says, Who am I? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and stones? that you send this little kid and he starts to rip into David. Now, this is what happens today. People say things to intimidate you. The devil will use words to intimidate you and make you feel like you aren't good enough. But David's smart because David knows his covenant. He knows the Word of God. It's really important that you know what God's Word says. That when life, otherwise known as Satan comes and accuses you and makes false statements about you and tells you that you're not good enough. That so you can turn around and we use the word of God against him. It's what Jesus did. When the devil came to tempt him, he turned around and used the word of God because that is your sword. It is what you use to fight with. Because your battle is not here on earth. Your battle's in the heavenlies. So you can't use natural weapons. You know, there's a guy here and he was insulting me. I can't punch him because it's the wrong weapon. But I can use the word of God that says who I am in God. And we'll get to that later on. But David, David turns to Goliath and he just ignores the rubbish that spews out of Goliath's mouth. And he says to him, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should divide the armies of the living God. The Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion. He's delivered me from the bear. He would deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Now how could David say that? Because he starts with the uncircumcised Philistine. You see, circumcision in the Old Testament was the sign of their covenant. They got circumcised not because God decided he wanted to have a go at all the males and make their life difficult when they started. But they were circumcised on the eighth day, so they knew from the start of their life that they were set apart by God, that they were under a covenant with Him, in an agreement with Him. It's why we now have baptism. That's our New Testament equivalent. We don't have to circumcise our males. We just have to baptise everybody. When you get baptized, you go down in the water and come back out. that is the mark of the new covenant, the new agreement that you have in God, that you are now His child. And we're going to go through and look at some of the old covenant stuff, look at what God did with Abraham and look at how that applies to Jesus and how that applies to us. All right? Is that okay? Not too heavy for an Easter Sunday? Do we need need more Easter eggs? This This is... Go and dig a little bit. You have to think about it a little bit. But it's really important. This is the power stuff. Because you've got to understand that God actually wants to bless you and prosper you. He took David, who was a little guy out there. He was the least in his family. He's out there with the sheep. I mean, when, when, when Samuel comes to anoint the new king of Israel, He comes to Jesse, David's father. He says, gather all your family. Don't leave anybody out. He tells him, don't leave anyone out. Gather them all. We're going to have a banquet together. So what does his father do? He gathers everybody except David. He didn't actually invite his son. He invited every other son, but left David out. That's how much David was respected by his family. That's how much they loved him. That when they have a banquet, because when Samuel turns up, it was like a big deal. You know, he is the prophet. He is the man. When he comes up, you want to honor him. And they didn't think David was good enough to be in his presence. So here's the guy who is, even his family doesn't recognize him. And God takes him and makes him king. See, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks about you. What matters? Is that God sees you and that He has a covenant promise with you? And He can take you one day from being out in the middle of nowhere where nobody knows your name to being a king and a priest. That's what He calls you a king and a priest. He can do it like that. You weren't made to be sick, you weren't made to be poor, you weren't made to be broke, you weren't made to be living in difficulty. You were meant to be living in victory. It doesn't mean stuff isn't going to come your way. It means you're going to overcome whatever comes your way. That's God's plan for your life. That's your covenant. So you go to Abraham. Now Abraham's really important in our covenant because the Bible says in the New Testament, and we'll look at that in a minute, that we are actually children of Abraham and that we have a better covenant. So what was the covenant? Because this is the covenant that David stood on. All right? Hebrews tells us we've got a better covenant than what David had, than what Abraham had. But in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, you know, because you know, he said to Abraham, who was called Abraham back then, he says, listen, I want you to leave where you are. And he was pretty comfortable, had a pretty good life. I want you to leave where you are. I want you to take you to a land. I'm going to make you into my people. And so Abraham sort of follows him and he gets to a point where he's not so sure. And so he says to God, how will I know I'm going to inherit this land? How do I know that what you're saying is actually true? And I'm not just losing my plot, you're losing my mind. And God says to him, let's make a blood covenant. So he says, take a heifer three years old, a goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon, slice them all in half. And what they would do back then was they would actually take the animals and they would cut them in half and put half on this side, half on that side, and there would be blood in the middle. and that would be what they call the trail of blood, OK? And any time you made a blood agreement, it was unbreakable. So you would often get two families who might make a deal, and they'd make a covenant either in marriage or they'd make a covenant agreement where they would actually merge into one family. And they'd go through this process. They would draw up the terms of agreement. They would discuss them back and forth until they actually had them. Then they would get these three animals and they would sacrifice them, one on this side, one on that side. and the way of the blood, they would walk through the middle between the animals. Then they would actually take their coats. And they would exchange their coats with each other. So the head of the household would take off his coat and hand it over to the head of the other household and they would do that with each other. And this was a way of saying that everything that I have is now yours. Everything that you have is now mine. The next thing they exchanged was weapons. They would take out their strongest weapon and hand it over to the other family, and they would do the same back. And this is a way of saying that your enemies are now my enemies. Your strength is now my strength. And My enemies are your enemies, and my strength is now your strength. So in other words, if an enemy comes against you, I will stand and defend with you. How does this relate to Jesus? Hugely. Because Jesus was the blood sacrifice. He is the way of the blood. When he died on the cross, his blood was shed to bring in a new covenant. At the foot of the cross, they took Jesus' coat. He exchanged garment. He says It says he gives us a garment of praise for our coats of heaviness. Ephesians tells us the weapons of of our warfare, are his. Jesus played out the covenant. The next thing they would do was then they cut their hands and wrists and they would bind them together. They took Jesus, they whipped him, they beat him, they bound him. You see, he was acting out the blood covenant agreement so that we could enter into a better covenant. Is this making sense? Yeah? All right? What he did on the cross was actually get out the covenant. So what's significant about it? Well, let me read to you Abraham's covenant. By the way, the last thing they'd do is actually take communion together. Did you know that? They would actually break bread and drink wine together so that their flesh would become flesh, their blood would become blood. That's what it symbolized. He just knew what he was doing when he went through this whole process. It wasn't, you know, random choice. Everything was acting out the covenant. But let me read to you the old covenant. This is the blessing that God gave. If you've got your Bibles there, go to Deuteronomy 28. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28 is split into two sections. The first section talks about blessing. The second section talks about curses. I love this. Because this is actually what God said. This is his Old Testament agreement with the people. And he reiterates it time and time and time again. Jeremy 8 has a shortened version. Leviticus has a couple of sections to talk about as well. He says, Now it comes to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, alright, that's the agreement. You choose to live my way then I will bring this part of my covenant on you. So they had a two-way covenant. You live for God, then these things will happen to you. I will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Don't you love that? That the blessing comes on you, but it doesn't just come on you. It actually overtakes you. In other words, there's so much blessing poured out, you cannot contain it. Sound like Philippians? Luke 6 says the same thing. See, so you got to get, God is actually into liberality. He's into abundance. Somewhere in the whole thing, we believe the lie that he wanted to take from us. When the first thing he did was give. When he created Adam and Eve, he blessed them. When Jesus was on earth, he gave his life. He's a giver. We have a God who is generous. He's not just a little bit generous. He's into the overflow. The only thing that stops it happening is our thinking because we don't think we're good enough to receive it. Guess what? You're right. You're never, ever going to be good enough to receive all that God has for you on your own. But when you enter into the covenant with God, you're good enough. So here's the old covenant. Where are we? Verse 3. Bless you be in the city and bless you be in the country. Doesn't matter where you are, you're blessed. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, increase of your herds, increase of your cattle, offspring of your flocks. In other words, your family's blessed. Your work you do is blessed. Blessed is your basket and your kneading bowl. That's your pantry, your freezer, your fridge. It's all blessed. Blessed are you when you come in and blessed when you go out. So whether you're going into a place or coming out of a place, if you think about it, if you're going into somebody, you're always coming out of somewhere else. <laughs> yeah? So you get a double blessing. The Lord will cause the enemies that rise against you to be defeated before your face. In other words, people will rise against you, but they'll be defeated. They'll come at you one way, but they're going to run away seven ways. The Lord commands a blessing on you in your storehouses and everything you set your hand. Your storehouses, that's your bank accounts, your investments. God commands a blessing on them. And everything you set your hand to, he'll bless you in the land the Lord has given you. In other words, wherever he puts you, he blesses you there. He'll establish you as a holy people to himself as he's sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the people on the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and shall be afraid of you. The Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, the produce of your ground, the land which the Lord your God swore to give you. Don't you love that? That none of that is spiritual. You know, we spiritualize God's promises. Oh, they're spiritual blessings now. If it happens in the spirit, it's got to happen in the natural. But none of this is spiritual. This is natural. This is everyday stuff. Verse 12, the Lord opened up to you his good treasure of the heavens and give rain and your land in season and bless all the work of your hand. Whatever you do is going to be blessed. You'll be so wealthy you'll lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Because you're not lending to your neighbours, you're lending to nations. That takes serious wealth to lend to a nation, doesn't it? He makes you the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath, if you heed the commandments of the Lord. All right? That's the promises. If you go over the page, I'm not going to read them all, but there's a whole a whole list of curses that are essentially the opposite of the blessings. Things like you'll be sick, you'll be broke, you'll build a house and someone else will live in it. Your wife will leave you, your kids will leave you, everyone will hate you, you'll lose your job, you'll be out in the street, you'll have nothing if you don't walk in God's way. Now unfortunately we've taken that today as the church and we've gone... Okay, one, we spiritualize the blessings so they're all spiritual, they're not physical. Don't know how that works. The other thing we've gone is we've gone, well, it's good to be poor and so on because that keeps us humble and that means that we seek after God. And we've taken the curses and we've made them into blessing. I don't know how we did it, but somewhere in church history we did it. And we've taken the blessing and we've said they're like a curse. Because we take things like where it says, you know, it's difficult for people who are rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so we go, well, therefore, if you've got money, you can't enter the kingdom of God. That's not what Jesus was saying. He says where richness has you. Read the context of what he's saying. Where the riches have you. Because you know what he says after that? He says about four verses after that, he says to the disciples, because they say, we've given up everything, what happens to us? And he says it's like this, anyone who gives up houses and lands, wives, children, mothers, fathers, for my sake and the Gospels, will not fail to receive 100 times as much now in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So if you receive 100 times of houses and lands of what you've given up, doesn't that make you wealthy? See how we twisted scripture? But that's what Jesus said. But we take this little bit and we throw the rest of it out. We've got to stop doing that because we are got to understand our new covenant. Because under the old covenant, if they did what God said, they got the blessing. If they walked away, they got invaded and taken over and lost everything. But we're under a new covenant that actually says you don't have to live a perfect life. that you can actually sin and still walk in the blessing. Now, I'm not advocating going out and sinning. Let's really put this in context. But for them, if they did not keep the whole law, then they could not be under the blessing. For us, Jesus fulfilled the law. Galatians 3 13 says that Jesus became a curse for us. So all the curses that are listed in the rest of Deuteronomy 28, Jesus actually took every one of those curses and nailed them to the cross with him. And it goes on two verses later to say that the blessings of Abraham might be yours. What's the blessings of Abraham? What was read there? God said to Abraham, "I will bless you so much so you can be a blessing." Abraham had, had a whole lot of servants that when his, when his nephew Lot is taken off and all of Sodom is taken off, and in the captivity, Abraham gets his servants to go out. They take on three whole kings and their armies and defeat them. That takes some serious blessing. His son Isaac was so blessed that they told him they couldn't contain The Philistines said, we can't have the same land as you. You're too blessed. Abraham had the same problem with Lot. They couldn't share the same area because Abraham was so blessed and Lot was blessed because he hung around Abraham. You want to get the blessing? Hang around someone who's blessed. And it says that they couldn't, land, couldn't contain him, so Lot went this way and Abraham went the other way. This is our new covenant. This is what Jesus is then into. He became the blood that was shed that made that covenant. Because you see, Abraham had this agreement with God and God told him to take those animals, cut them in half, and he made a blood covenant. And you see from that point on, Abraham believed. Why? Because he had a blood covenant with God. We have a blood covenant through Jesus. John 15 says that we are in him and his word is in us. How do you be in Jesus? You accept him as your Lord and Savior. And you enter into him. And you are in him and he's in you. He says, Jesus said, if that is so, then you can ask whatever you want and it'll be done. This is the covenant we have with God. But we want to take this stuff and we go... Oh, it's too much for me. Can that really be true? I know that might be true for somebody else, but surely it's not true for me. And we try and be good enough. You're already good enough. Because Jesus paid for your sin. When he died on the cross, he took every sin you have ever committed and any sin you will ever commit. He's already paid for it all. It's done, it's gone, it's washed away. We're told it was even before the foundation of the world that Jesus was slain. So it was done right back there before creation. We talked about it last week. He has taken everything evil out of your life. We've got to stop taking it back. Because we look at ourselves and we think, How can I be good enough? And because we don't feel good enough, we step into sin. You see, what you look at is what you become. That's what's really important to take the Word of God and to be reading it every day. Because as you look at it, as you read it, as you take it in, as you're in church every week hearing the good stuff, you will become like Jesus. Because what you focus on is what you become. What you look at is what you become. And you may say, look, I don't understand it all. It doesn't all make sense to me. It doesn't have to. I still read it every day and I read something and I go, wow, I've never seen that before. And I've been reading that thing for about 40 years. It's full of good promises. It's full of God's goodness. You have a covenant agreement that, and you need to know what your agreement is. You know, you don't sign a contract without reading what it says, right? Isn't that true? Or do we? How many times do we click that thing on the computer that says, yes, I've read the terms and conditions and download it? You know, there was, there was a company once that as a joke put in there that one of the lines was um, in the terms and agreements that you will sign over every one of your firstborn children to be slaves of our company for the next hundred years. They put it in as a joke. I think it was about two years before someone picked it up of people clicking on this thing. Because we do that, don't we? We got used to not reading our covenant agreement. Can I suggest you read this one? Because this one's got the good stuff in it. This one has the blessing in it. You know, we're here celebrating Easter. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the new covenant we have. We're celebrating the agreement that is paid in full. Your part's already paid, He's already shed the blood, He's already given up His coat. He's already taken communion. The agreement's done. You just have to walk in it and stop being sold the lie that you don't have a good agreement. Because this says things like, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. It doesn't say you are or you're going to be. It says you were healed. In other words, your healing has already been done. If you've got any sickness in your body, you can actually take that word as a covenant, and you can speak it over your life. And it says, I were healed. And if healing doesn't come, then you keep speaking it, and you keep reading it, because it says that by faith it'll come. How do you get faith? By reading the Word of God and hearing the Word of God. until the point where you believe it. People say to me, but I tried that once and it didn't happen. Let me ask you, we went to the doctor and they gave you the pill the first time. Did healing happen? No. Why did you keep taking it? Because the doctor said, if I keep taking it, I'll get better. You know what? You keep taking the word of God, you'll get better. Oh, but I know someone who, who did that and it didn't happen. I know somebody who took pills and it didn't happen. But we keep going back to the doctor. Where's our faith? I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't take your pills. I'm saying get some gospel pills. Start taking these. There's no side effects. They're only good. You know, Dar was joking about hair. You know what? You can actually speak over your hair. But it says in there, the Bible actually has a verse that says, not a hair of your head will be lost. It's in Luke. reference to you right now. You can actually speak that over your hair and your hair will grow. There's a challenge. <laughs> to the point where you get faith. You speak to your hair and you say, hair, the Bible says not a hair of my head will be lost. Term, it was talking about how much God values you. That he will protect you so that not a hair of your head is lost. And we've been sold this lie about baldness. Speak the word of God. Get some faith around it. What does it say about your finances? Malachi in the old covenant says, bring the tithe in the storehouse, he'll pour out such a blessing you can't contain it. Under the new covenant, you've got an even better blessing. God said to Abraham, who is where we get our blessing through? Galatians, Hebrews say that. That the blessing of Abraham is ours. And God said to Abraham, I'm blessing you so much that you can be a blessing. And he was one of the wealthiest men there was. God wants to bless your finances. He wants to bless your health. He wants to bless your relationships. So that then you can don't have to worry about all this stuff. You can get out there and do what we're supposed to be doing. And that's telling people about Jesus. Because that's what we're made to do. He blessed Abraham so that he could be a blessing to others. And he wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. I think we sort of hear that and we go, oh yeah, and it's always for someone else. No, it's for you. It's your covenant. Jesus died so that you could have new life. But he also gave it so that you could share your new life with others. But we've got selfish. We get saved and then we go, it's all for me. You know, you think about songs. There's a stairway to heaven, but there's a highway to hell. Why is that? There's a highway to hell so there's no congestion. How about we change that around? We need a highway to heaven, don't we? You see, we're here celebrating the life that we have in God, that we get to go to heaven. We get to walk with God. We get to walk under his blessing and favor. Don't you think it's about time we shared that blessing? Did you think about who you might invite today? To be here and hear about Jesus? Did you think about who you might share your faith with and what God's done in your life this week? You don't have to know everything in here. You just got to tell what God has done for you. That's all He asks you to do. Share your blessing. Know your blessing, share your blessing. Let's make this the first and the last thing we read every day. It'll change how you think. And then let's start to do what it says. I'm not talking about living a perfect life. I'm talking about sharing your faith. You'll start to live the right life when you start to put it in. God loves you. He has blessing on his mind for you. Let's receive it. Let's not insult him. Let's receive that blessing. Let's walk in that blessing. Let's share the blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you you're a good God. We thank you that we live under your blessing. That the price has been fully paid for it. Lord, we want to receive the fullness of it now. That where there is lack in our life, Father, I speak... Abundance. Lord, where there is sickness, I speak healing in Jesus' name. Where there's broken relationships, Father, I speak wholeness. According to your word and the blessing that's in there. And Father, we pray for our city. Lord, we pray for the people in our world, the people around us, our family, our friends, our neighbours. Father, we pray over them, Lord, we pray salvation, that they will know the fullness of your blessing. They will know the richness of relationship with you. Lord, that you be glorified through them. Just while everyone's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed. I just want to give you a chance to renew your covenant with God. Maybe you haven't been walking right and things haven't been right in your life. Just take this time and say, you know what, God, I give you my life afresh. I want to put you first in my life. Take the Easter message of hope and apply it to your life now says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just take a moment to receive that, to confess your sin to him, to receive his cleansing, and make a decision to be a reader and a doer of his word. Lord, I pray as you do that, that your word will become life to us, that as we read it, it will be life. It will come alive and be a rhema word. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.